0: Again, you found us and we're glad you have because we've been at this for a while now. Not that we're proud of ourselves. We're proud of the athletes for taking time to to speak with us. Danny Wexelman, Darren Sutton. Um, We like to kind of feel like we're we're the keepers of the stories of amateur baseball and specifically those that are aspiring and are reaching next level stuff. And it, it can serve as an aspiration for you listeners out there. Whether you're a 14-year-old baseball player and you want to learn about like our next guest and how they got where they did, who, by the way, did so at mid-major schools, not at Power Five, uh, you know, conferences, no offense to my co-host who's just spent, you know, at the the mountaintop at the College World Series, no offense, but um, you're going to enjoy this. And then it also can serve as something inspirational and aspirational if you're a 54-year-old, you know, teacher in a school and you're looking for someone to inspire you you these athletes do it that's what we love about this podcast and and danny congrats by the way on the great work you did at the college world series we we're proud uh as a group that you did it um you know we have two great guests but just just a quick thought on on your experience being there being amongst that energy you've known these athletes with all due respect to a lot of your colleagues a lot longer than they have even um what was it like for you to get to tell their stories
1: a dream. It was beyond. This has been unbelievable. And to get to see Trey Faltini, Doug Hodo, Caden Wallace. I mean, the list goes on and on. Cade Horton, he dealt it, it was unbelievable. It's really special to watch them grow up and become humans of the world and, and keepers of the game and, and be great ambassadors and know that you know we saw them when they were in high school. So it was a dream. And the biggest stage. I mean, I, I was very lucky to be a part of the show. So it was awesome. Thank you for mentioning it.
0: Yeah, nobody does anybody any favors in our business, you know, a, a behind the, uh, the curtain kind of a situation. And um, I, I think for ESPN, you ESPN folks that are maybe stopping by to listen to check in on Danny, you got this one right, not just because Um, of her skills I mean even if she just read on the internet about these players she still would deliver what you saw but you got this one right because this is someone who lives and breathes and eats understands the families understands the failures of these athletes understands the single mom story which she told very well on an occasion understands the face story which she's listened to so um there's a variety of stories you know the minority that's struggling to fit in 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 the game so you got this one right ESPN well done Danny you produced a a great podcast um Gabriel Hughes Gonzaga and and Gonzaga right again two mid-major guys which I love but they're both first rounders they're going to be first rounders that's why you've listened to the right podcast little Idaho guy little tiny town in Eagle Idaho was the Gatorade player of the year in Idaho, and the cynic will say, well, how tough is that? There's like 12 players in Idaho, right? I mean, that's all well and good. But he pitched on a team this year that in a two-bid league, it was a WCC that had two bids, which was great for the WCC with San Diego and Gonzaga. He struck out 138 in 98 innings. His team won a bunch of games. Um, He's going to pro ball now. Gabriel Hughes was the first guest you grabbed.
1: So Gabe Hughes is cool because of where he's come from. He chose Gonzaga. He wanted to grow there. He wanted to get better there. And his story is unique because he has all this built up energy and he had to find a way to harness that and figure out how to use that for good. And there were moments, I think, in the beginning of his career at Gonzaga where he couldn't figure it out. And he had to he had to go through some adversities and he had to talk to some teammates and they had to be like, hey, man, like, why don't you smile? Why are you enjoying this? What's going on? Because he's talking to himself. He's so mad. And he had to find a way to really harness that and use it for good. And he's so transparent about that, which is really especially comes from an amazing family. I believe he was the valedictorian of his high school class, a very smart kid. And he he earned himself a pretty good paycheck. Potentially coming up in this draft. And I saw him in the regional, saw him in the black in the Blacksburg regional. Yeah, I saw Gonzaga there. I saw him pitch. I wouldn't say that it was his best, but he still struck out a ton of guys and he he looked like a dude out there. So it was very cool to see him as he was wrapping up his college career. And we saw him when he was packing his bags, heading out, leaving school, getting ready for the draft.
0: Yeah, that 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 maybe, you know, step down outing, which wasn't dramatically a step down, is almost like getting a speeding ticket on your way to a great job interview with the resume from heaven. He's got all that stuff. So he'll pay the ticket. He'll move on. He'll go and be a first rounder and he's going to be all set. Brooks Lee um, is the other guest that you found and and that you produced onto our show. And so, you know, I relate to Brooks a little bit because of the the father-son thing. His dad, Larry, the head coach of Cal Poly. And there are a lot of young athletes that if they grew up the son of the coach of the college down the street, the first thing they would do would be to go to Stetson. You know that that would that would be, and there's nothing wrong with that. I want to write my own thing. he He went right down the street with Dad. And that speaks to their relationship. You know, we're gonna get into it in our conversation, kind of when Dad walks down the hall, those those stop buys, the things he says. Brooks obviously lives a, as a man and an adult now, but uh, the the conversations that they went through. Um, he's He's a baseball freak and he's a super geek. And what I mean by that is he stole his dad's synergy, which is a video scouting service password so that he could just watch more baseball right so he's so skilled so talented there are debates i recently had you know wrapped up recording of pg's first mock draft and again you'll see it when you watch it folks go find it on perfect game tv brooks goes very high there are some mock drafts that have brooks won one you know that beat all these high school bats that we know about so brooks lee one of my favorite conversations that we've maybe ever had on this podcast is
1: He's special because of the, his connection to his dad and his decision to go to Cal Poly and follow in those footsteps. I just think when, when you look at the field of guys that you have in this year's draft, you you only sometimes pay attention to the people you're seeing on TV down the road and who you're seeing in the regionals and the Super Regionals, the College World Series, and you're hyper-focused on them, but Brooks Lee is going to make one team really, really happy because he's such a student of the game, and he was geeking out with us, like you said, and I, I thought that was really unique. And he was willing to just kind of dive into that part of the game. A lot of guys are like, no, I'm not really looking at that necessarily. No, he's into it. And I think he's just going to fit in so well somewhere. But um, the connection with his dad is is what makes him so special.
0: So also on this podcast, Jeremy Brown, the national cross checker for perfect game at the 1413 age UH group, uh, saw his work come and grow up at the junior national showcase. He scouted. Perfect Games Junior National Showcase, I had a chance to be there. There were some exceptional athletes. I think what was interesting about that event in the world of, maybe the cynical world of everyone's committing in eighth grade, um, there were 160 plus athletes that were non-commits. And with that in mind, that's great. You know, athletes, maybe are taking a little more time. They have friends, they have sisters that play softball, they can't get into the recruiting now until they get older. I thought that was cool that that many athletes had chance. They're all going to play. I mean, I watched them. They're all talented athletes. Even if it's someone who's, quote unquote, at the bottom of the metrics, I saw the skills. They're going to go play NAI, D2, um, mid-major baseball. So Jeremy will tell us what he loved there, you know, the the very best athletes. And then um, from Perfect Game College Baseball, which airs weekly on Perfect Game TV, Hunter Pence and Peyton Chatagnier, the the great infielder for Ole Miss. Here's what's cool, Danny, uh, about the piece of pie, the the piece of of pizza that we're taking out of the pizza pie, which we always do on on this podcast, because Hunter's so good with these athletes, is Peyton played all of his games at Hunter Pence Baseball. He played all of his games as a high schooler before Ole Miss to, to save money to help pay for travel ball. His mom worked behind the front desk, at hunter pence baseball we put the two of them together so also we'll make sure we give you a piece of that so that's the podcast it's a good one
1: yeah we got a great one and actually that's awesome i i can't wait to hear that because i got to meet Peyton at the sec tournament and then i saw him here too and he he's a cool kid and and he loves his team and he loves baseball so much so i actually cannot wait to hear that
0: So let's have this conversation and truth be told, I've been, uh, Danny's such an amazing producer, does such a good job, but I've been asking for this one for a long time and keeping an eye on Brooks from afar, understanding who he is. Um, As a player's son myself, with my dad's journey into the hall of fame, this is a coach's son. I always feel uh, a little bit of a connection with athletes who have no choice, grow up with the game around them. They have no choice, they didn't pick it, but then they, like I've done, Brooks has fallen in love with the game. What's your earliest recollection, Brooks? And thanks for hanging out with Danny and I. What's your earliest recollection of dad taking you to a practice where you looked around and thought, this is pretty cool. I might want to do this someday.
2: Uh, Well, it wasn't just taking me to practice. It was being in the practice. So uh, I've been with my dad for every single year that he's been at Cal Poly. Uh, And I've been probably in I started playing the inner squads in seventh grade. Uh, I first started catching bullpens uh, for pitchers in sixth grade. So I've been around the game a long time and the bullpens weren't fun at all because I was getting my phone blown up by 90 miles an hour as a sixth grader. Uh, But I started enjoying it when I got my first hit, uh, which I think was in eighth grade. It Took me a year to get my first hit. So I always filled in for people that were hurt. Uh, playing wherever I needed to in the outfield or second and short. Uh, and then, I mean, I've always been in love with the game, so it was pretty fun for every moment.
0: Were there times, Brooks, where you looked around at, you know, a great program, your dad's an amazing coach. I love learning from him. We I had him on a couple of games a few years ago out at Salt River Fields. Mm-hmm. Um, or, Were there times where you actually felt like, you know what? I I'm okay playing at this level. Like, I... You know, I'm sure your answer is not going to be seventh grade, mm-hmm. but you know, weirdly enough, I and the reason I go there is I ended up being a major league broadcaster for many years, and I didn't have your skill set. So quickly, the minor league career ended, like <laughs> over. But, but the one thing I did know, listening to broadcasters, I can do that. I started thinking that, like when I was in college, I was like, I'm, I can do that. At what age did you realize, you know, what I think I can play with these guys at this level?
2: Uh, somewhere along in high school, probably. I think after my freshman year, um, I had a good, I had a good fall, um, with the team. And I think that's carried into having a good, a good. It's uh, so
0: funny. You realize that, right? You're in high school. I had a good fall with the team. I love that.
2: Sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, it's uh but then it carried over to my spring season in high school. So, um, I think probably it gave me a lot more confidence to pr- produce in high school, uh, and at different levels. So, uh, I knew that I had a chance to play somewhere, um, probably after my freshman year, didn't know where that would be. Um, but, uh, I would say after my junior year, I was like, okay, I can play anywhere in the country. Um, and I can do everything that I need to do, um, to compete at the highest level. But, uh, I knew that after my freshman year, I was like, all right, like Cal Poly would probably be a good fit for me. Uh, and it ended up being a great fit. So I committed my, uh, September of my sophomore year. So, Um, pretty early
0: and it was well worth it real quick before Danny jumps in. What what, would you text the coach or how do you let the coach know you were committing there?
2: It was actually probably the most, uh, routine thing to do. It was just, um, he walked my bedroom is right before my parents' bedroom. So, um, it was probably after school one day, uh, and I was folding laundry, which I never do. Uh, and he goes walking past my room. I'm like, dad, I couldn't get his attention. And uh, a couple minutes go by and he comes back and I'm like, dad, and I get his attention. And I'm like, uh, I think I want to play for you. And he's like, okay. And so he like started being all like coach-like and uh, like formal. And he, he stuck his hand out there and we shook on it. I was like, "Hey, I'm committed to Cal Poly. Uh, and I'm sure that made him really happy. We didn't talk about money or anything. Uh, And to this day, I had no clue what my money was going to look like for scholarship, but it didn't matter. So uh, yeah, it was a pretty cool moment. Just father, son, uh, no one else around, just pretty nice.
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, your story is really interesting and unique and different in, in the sense that you could have gone to the draft and it's not that maybe you, you wanted to bet on yourself, the development you've had, with your dad has been huge, but you decided that it was maybe more meaningful to be able to play for your dad and something. I mean, Cat Polly is in your blood, right? It's your dad, your your uncles, your grandfather, like everybody in your family. And so, for for you to make that decision, and you know, you just dad just walks by. But when you know you're leading up to this moment, what are the conversations like with dad about baseball, about your future? Like, give us a little insight into those conversations.
2: Uh, it's a lot about my development. So uh, he's always said like he wanted to be a coach first, uh, and he never wanted to view me uh, as his son on the field. So he always wanted to look at it as a coach per- uh, perspective. But I think that I mean I really started talking to him about baseball in high school um, and kind of about the game. But I knew that when I committed to Cal Poly and I ended up getting on campus, that was when uh, my stride was going to hit really well with learning a different part of the game that I never would know and. Uh, I've always thought I could be a coach on the field. And so – and, I mean, I really didn't get to do that in high school because, you know, he's always on the sidelines and he's not my coach then. Uh, And things would fly right past me um, after games and stuff like that. But when you're learning on the field, uh, especially in inner squads and practice, I mean, I think I got a lot better with baseball IQ uh, and just knowing different parts of the game that eventually become instinctual. Uh, And those are our conversations. I mean, if you go – If we go to dinner as a family it's my mom and sister trying to interrupt me and my dad talking about baseball every single time and that's no matter where you put us uh, at the table so
1: (laughs) okay i'm glad you i'm glad you brought up mom because I could imagine the life that you, you've, you've built up a lot of dad time, but you, I think they're in an article you mentioned, you know, growing up, dad was recruiting or, you know, dad was busy when, when you were playing. So what's mom's role been in all this, introduce us to her and the impact that she's had, because someone's got to make sure that everyone stays in line, right. With, with everything that you guys have going on, your sister too.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, we call her the enforcer for a reason. So she puts the hammer down. Um, she's a. Uh, a lot more outgoing and I would say tougher on the outside than my dad. So um, I think, I mean, she took me everywhere as a kid um, to every baseball tournament, uh, to camps, all these different things. And she knows a lot about the game too. So uh, I, she was just another one of those coaches that I had uh, in life and in baseball. So uh, she played softball at Cuesta and that's where she met my dad. Uh, and so I, I always got a mouthful if uh, things went wrong. and because it was like, if your dad's not there, or if your parents aren't there to watch you screw up, then no one's going to harp on you. But uh, And sometimes it's like that if your dad's not there. But my mom knew enough about the game and uh, definitely knew how to coach me from a young
0: age. So uh, that's why I think I've been in line for so long.
1: Love that answer.
0: Liz, your mom, Jenna, your sister, tell me everything about Jenna you'd like to tell me.
2: Uh, it's just an all around great person. So, um, she also grew up around sports, played basketball, uh, track and field volleyball in high school. Uh, and then she went to university of Oregon, uh, under a psychology major. So she graduated last year, went to Spain, um, got pretty fluent in Spanish, uh, did a lot of other things. So, um, it's been great. They've been following me along, uh, this year, which is kind of unlike any other year. So they'll go, um, with us on the bus sometimes or they'll go uh, on the plane with us when we go somewhere um, across the country. But yeah, it's, uh, it's been really special just this year because I get to have them by my side and uh, go into their hotel room after a game. Uh, And I mean, just like you said, it's just a special thing that I get to do. And uh, I'm pretty sure I, I have it unlike anybody else in the country and that's the way I want it to be.
0: Yeah, you have a, a unique uh, upbringing. You have a unique life. Um, you know, fantasy camp is like four or five thousand dollars to go for a week. If you go to a fantasy camp somewhere, you kind of had one of those last summer. You know, USA collegiate national team. You you owned the Cape. Um, but I want to go back to that kind of fantasy camp part. When you pay to go to fantasy camp and live the the fun life you've gotten to live, part of what you don't sign up for you experienced getting out of the box when you first arrived on campus you blew your knee and hamstring up I I don't even know how to describe it but even doctors said there's only been a handful that we've seen in our careers um, it's fixed it's back we can move past I don't want you to live in that I I want you to live in how it helped you I want you to live in what going through that actually made you who you are now
2: Uh, yeah I mean I would say that my injuries have a huge part in who I am today so uh, definitely a lot of resilience that goes into my injuries. Um, had a pretty brutal one my sophomore year of high school too, um, with the L five fractures, uh, in my back. So yeah, it's, uh, kind of been something that's, I mean, just stuck with me. Um, I've been relatively, uh, healthy for a while now. So, uh, my last major injury was yeah, that freshman year, but, uh, it's, a, uh, it's definitely something that I need to go through in order to, um, uh, and I always feel like I'm tougher than everybody else. And, uh, when you go through things like that, uh, you're really, if you get along and you get through it, then, um, you can only do so much. <clears throat> and I mean, I could do anything I really wanted to, um, after that. So I feel very good about myself that I got through those things. Cause you know, those are dark times. Uh, but when you get through those, uh, and you come out on the other side and you always know there's light at the end of the tunnel. So, uh, yeah, not, not something that's fun. And, uh, it's nice to talk about um, when you're through with it, but uh, during those moments, it's uh, something that, you know, it's kind of failed to you.
1: I wanted to circle back to, to the IQ because I think it's easy for everybody to feel like they have a pretty good knowledge and understanding of the game, right? You're playing it every day, even playing it your whole life. You're on a different playing field than everybody else it, you, you mentioned that eventually it just becomes intuitive, but I think that there's gotta be something else that goes into it before it can be intuitive. So what are the things that you're doing to be able to tell your dad, Hey, I think we should pitch this batter this way, like for you to have that confidence, but what are, what kind of work do you put in to have that tool in your toolbox?
2: Um, well, the first thing is like, I love breaking down swings. So, um, I'm here very like video is everything for me. Uh, I love to break down video. And uh, I notice things after the first swing of my opponent uh, and six or seven things will pop in my head on how to pitch somebody or uh, what they can and can't do or how they can hit the ball. So um, it's sometimes it's a a, a curse because, you know, you have all these thoughts that go through your head, even about yourself um, when you do something or you swing a certain type of way. So uh, I think that uh, when I first originally started being able to do that was somewhere along in high school. Uh, I'd probably say my senior year, uh, but I got really good at it once I started knowing like pitch calling, uh, and that's, I mean, something that a player is not supposed to know at this age. I know that for sure. So, uh, especially not a pitcher. But uh, I think knowing these things, I mean, helps me with positioning um, and where to take my first step when someone's throwing a certain pitch and. Uh, a player is more likely to hit it to somewhere on the field. So, I mean, all these things go into account, and uh, it's definitely great when it works the right way. Uh, and, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, really something that you can learn um, or it's something that is just uh, kind of in the blood because it's definitely in the blood of my family. But, uh, yeah, I started getting a gris- uh, a grasp on it probably, yeah, senior year, freshman year. I mean, I spent all that time down uh, because of my knee injury. So uh, I think it helped me have my dad be next to me uh, in the dugout and talk to me about uh, certain plays and how things will eventually unfold. Uh, And I mean,
0: you could say that was a blessing in disguise for that, too. Uh, it's incredible. I can remember that, you know, when you came to town, you were injured. I can remember part of it. So your grandfather passed away when you were what, about six or seven years old? Yeah. So, and I mean this with all the respect in the world, your grandfather just reads as a rock star, dude. Like yeah. I, I, I couldn't like, whenever you think you're a man's man or anybody else does just look up grandpa. I mean, amazing athlete, gold glove boxer, fought with Patton as his leader in World War II, Golden Glover, Red's organization like, what stories do you know? Do you have any recollection of your grandfather? And and those are cool standards. You know, those are cool kind of familiar standards. You're, you're a new age young man. You're in this generation, the video generation, the smartphone generation. That being said, explain to me kind of what you know about your grandfather and those amazing standards that he set. Well, yeah, like you're saying, a man's man, it's definitely who he was, so Um,
2: one of the things that always suffered me is that my dad said he never cussed, um, even no matter how mad he would get, uh, but, and he had some pretty brutal children, like my dad, uh, at a young age, so uh, I don't, I mean, I remember a lot um, about him, but uh, I just know that he was extremely tough, um, and you know, he was really invested in sports all the way through. So uh, yeah, baseball, basketball, football, boxing. He was an athletic trainer um, and did a lot of other things in the sports community, especially in slow. Uh, But yeah, Cal Poly is definitely what he bleeds. Um, But just an all around great human being. And um, it's somebody that, I mean, I never got to experience it that much, but uh, I always look up to him as a role model, um, just of the stories that I know and uh, it's pretty, pretty cool to be uh, um, in that family.
0: Yeah, in the Hall of Fame for our listeners, he's in the Cal Poly Hall of Fame, certainly. And um, when when did switch hitting become truly fluid for you? I mean, really fluid.
2: Um, well, I mean, I had to do it my whole life. I had no other choice because my grandpa, uh, my grandpa taught um, all three brothers, um, including my dad, how to switch hit. Uh, and so it was only natural for my dad to teach me how to switch it. Um, my uh, Uncle Terry and Uncle Mike gave up on it eventually, uh, but my dad stuck with it and I've stuck with it. Um, I started probably <clears> – <throat> like I got a little more comfortable in high school. Um, it's just an experience thing that – it's tough because I always face right-handed pitching. There's not a lot of left-handed pitchers. Uh, but it's great when I go out to summer ball Uh, because I always face a lot of lefties, I feel like. Um, And you kind of get into that groove. So, I mean, I've never been a good pitch hitter, but that's what it feels like when you go up to the plate um, because you don't get to hit for like three weeks from one side uh, off a live pitcher. Uh, But, yeah, I would say in high school, I started getting a little more comfortable and uh, getting a feel for the barrel. Uh, I feel like I've always had that natural um, left-handed fluid swing, uh, and I could be able to manipulate it however I wanted to. Uh, but right-handed it's a little more compact and it takes a, uh, a different mindset I
0: feel like than my left-handed swing so I always know two, yeah, oh, two different people yeah it is two different people yeah it exactly is I have one more Danny I apologize yeah. Yeah, um, I, I have daughters four of them all in your age window right like like 20 to 24 um, and you know as a parent you worry about all the same things you worry about you know what's TikTok and Instagram and Twitter doing and what's well, could they get lost and go down a rabbit hole i, I think for you uh, i'd be worried about and for our listeners out there there's an a, a great service called synergy and it's a it's a video company that gets scouting video and stuff i'd be worried that i might lose you to synergy to yeah. scouting video that i might just be like brooks the rest of the world's going on out here i've lost you to synergy and uh-huh. am i close in that do you, do you love the concept of, of like synergy
2: yeah it's on my door it's on my. Uh what do you call it? My doc right now. So, um,
1: what do you have? Wait, what do you have pulled up right now?
2: I have, I have Synergy baseball right here. Um, and I also have another one open for my swings and on my dash or my desktop. I have a couple screenshots of my swings. So, wow. Uh, yeah, I'll get lost in the synergy. Um, that's probably what I've most used this computer for. Um, and to be honest, that's probably what I pay attention more in class to Synergy than I do my, uh, my professor. So uh, I love doing it. Um, it brings me a lot of joy when I get to do it. Uh, and, I mean, I don't know why, but I love looking at swings. I love looking at pitchers, and I love watching baseball. So uh, I've been invested in Synergy ever since I got the password my freshman year. So uh, And I know I've used it more than anybody else in this country other than maybe a scout that's looking at someone but uh, I love it. I mean, I can't, it's funny that you say that. Uh, so, I mean, I'm all over it and yeah, I mean, I can go on and on. I mean, I, I can go on for days.
1: Oh my gosh, that's so good. I, I just have one more because I feel like you've painted us this incredible picture of who you are as a baseball player, as the family guy, what your family looks like. I mean, you really gave us like this great insight, but what about Brooks Lee, the person who's, who's Brooks Lee, the person, give me, give us a little, little insight into who you are off the field.
2: Um, oh, I just try and be a good person. So that's what my dad worries about most uh, for our players is being a good human being, being a good father, being a good son, uh, being a good brother. So um, I think I try and do all those things and uh, he could care less about how I do. And, the game of baseball Uh, he just cares about how I am uh, outside of it in life so um, I just try and be a good person uh, try and do good deeds and uh, that's kind of the person I try to be in on the field or uh, when I'm mad I'll be a stubborn person like my mom but uh, other than that um, I just want to be a uh, just a good hearted person and uh, bring a lot of uh, emphasis into this community about baseball and sports and uh, I've tried to do that so far and uh, I know I'm going to be a role model here pretty soon for a lot of kids in the country and uh, especially where I live. So um, just try and do good things and make sure that I have a
0: good uh, a good image
2: for kids to
0: follow. You're my blessing, but that's an incredible answer. And that's a huge yeah. testimony to your dad. Uh, yeah. And I hope there's some travel ball and high school ball and little league ball parents listening to that answer too. 200 athletes gathered just outside of Atlanta, Georgia at East Cobb Baseball Complex for the Perfect Game Junior National Showcase. It's got tons and tons of major leaguers as its alum. Bryce Harper kind of jumped onto the to the scene after that Sports Illustrated cover of PG Junior National. So Jeremy Brown, our great writer, our great scout, he was there. Maybe he found the next Bryce Harper. Open up that notebook and share, please, Jeremy.
4: The 2022 Junior National Showcase just wrapped up a couple weeks back on uh, down in East Cobb. And It was loaded with talent i mean the 2024 class we got to see them uh connor griffin new to the class made an appearance we had derek curiel several of the guys that are now ranked in the top 10. Um, we just updated our class rankings and there were so many loud performances big arms big tools on display that we're going to break down a little bit here that they warranted significant jumps in the rankings and they got them i mean just starting with the 60 because that's the first part of a showcase we always do Four guys ran a sub six four um, and that's just flying, Matthew Priest with an unheard of six one four, Uh sorry six one five in the sixty like, that's not even running that's basically floating at that point, he then hit a in game home run he's uncommitted right now jumped up the rankings and um, I think it's safe to say that, he's not going to be uncommitted for much longer, uh, Perry Hargett a North Carolina commit Bo Walker uncommitted but a high level football prospect um trip capers also with the 639 like we're talking about guys with elite athleticism elite foot speed and that's usually a tool you don't fully see develop um, at a younger age Andre Maduno, another one he's 6 foot 5 he ran 654 in the 6 yard through 97 from the outfield 96 across the infield Andre's a 2 time select festival alum so we know him we've seen him and now he's taking his game to a next level Hit an in game grand slam. Um and obviously those are just tools and size that you can't teach. Uh Bryce Clavon, another sub six five runner, ninety-five across the diamond. We didn't get to see him hit. But the tools, the other tools, they definitely speak for themselves. They were loud. Derek Curiel put together professional at bats in game, just like we expected him to do. Lots of barrel um throughout his round of BP. The offense, oddly enough, this is an event where pitchers usually have the upper hand with batters only seeing them once. We had seven, eight home runs in game, which is kind of unheard of for an event like this. And that's not to say the pitching wasn't there. That's just kind of the level of what these bats are, you know. Um, Madunio had one. Priest had one. Seven Alameas had one. Samuel Richardson is loaded with tools out of Mississippi. He had a home run that's going to be like, or I should say a grand slam. That's going to be one of those, hey, remember when Richardson went opposite field in-game? And it was a blast. I mean, it was a no-doubter off-the-bat breaking ball up in the zone that he just got fully extended on it. Everyone kind of just sat back and watched it go, thinking, like, we may never even see this again. And just when you have something like that, that's kind of one of the cement stamps of, oh, okay, that just happened. Uh, Harrison Vc threw 87 behind the plate. Burke Mabius, another festival alum, really did well for himself there. Jumped up the rankings. I think he was at number 69. Now he's ranked right up there in the top 20, I believe. Uh, TCU commit switch hitter, really performed in-game with the bat. Our guys really liked him behind the plate as well. And you just keep going through tools. I mean, just sifting through right here. Jump over to exit velocities. We had... Three guys hit 100, and Henry Allen, who put on an absolute show in his BP, PJ Morlando, and the aforementioned Samuel Richardson. Is 2024 the class of the left-hander? Like you had Drew Graham, Jackson Sanders, Talon Bell, um, Cash Mayfield, and you just keep going down the list, and it's like that lefty's really good. That lefty's really good. And how do they stack up against one another? You know, you have long-term projection in all these guys. Tegan Kuhn's a right-hander from maryland pennsylvania area the mid-atlantic came out spinning one of the best breaking balls we saw the entire event almost up to three thousand rpms and it was a true banger of a pitch and then you had kate townsend come out from california uh ucla committed right-hander made it look easy on the mound and he spun it all his spin rates ranked amongst the best in the event and it was just really fun to watch everybody come out compete um The talent at the 2024 level is insane. We didn't even get to see all of the top, top guys. And that's scary to think about because there was so much talent. And we still have another two years until these guys make it to the draft level of their career where we start really breaking them down. But for now, I mean, just still looking. Ford Thompson's another lefty. I don't know how I forgot about him. Big breaking ball. Um, Landon Victorian was one of another Select Fest alum in 2020 at the 14U game. He took his game to the next level, maybe another two levels, and he's still nowhere close to hitting a ceiling. So this class, it had pop-up guys. It had known names. It had established players who took that next level. And it was really fun to kind of sit back, relax, and enjoy it. Just the highest level of baseball is right in front of us, and we're going to get to watch these guys for another two years.
1: Gabe Hughes joining us as we inch closer to the draft coming up this summer, but so much happened ahead of this. Gabe and I have been so excited to to talk with you. We've been patiently waiting to get you on the podcast, and it was, as I told you, it was a treat to be able to watch you pitch and be able to call some of the game in the Blacksburg Regional that you all played in, and it's cool because you learn a lot more about these about the people who play the game once you are kind of ingrained in it. And so I I want to start with how you've grown at Gonzaga and, and the the choice to go there but it it was interesting reading about how you grew from 2021 to the 2022 season and harnessing all the emotions that you have and who you are so i want to go back take me back in time starting with like how did you become the person that you are on the mound today
3: yeah i mean that's a that is a very interesting journey because coming into gonzaga i came in just as a i mean as a pitcher i came in as a kid who just always threw hard Um, didn't really have anything other than a pretty good fastball. And then I got to college and realized that my pretty good fastball in Idaho high school wasn't pretty good for college. Um, so I kind of had to learn how to become a pitcher outside of just throwing hard. Um, and then a couple weeks into the semester in the fall of my freshman year, uh, I started two weighing. So I started playing first base as well. Um, And then for the next two years, kind of my attention was divided between the two um, until the spring of 2021 when, uh, and this is something my teammates will never let me live down, um, I swung at a pitch that was going to hit me and it hit me on the hand, but if I turned it just would have hit me in the back, I would have got a free base, but it hit me in the hand when I swung, I fractured a knuckle. And I missed the last half of our season. So I missed the last month and a half. Um, didn't get to pitch in our regional last year. Didn't get to pitch um, in the rest of conference. And from 2021 to 2022, with my coaches, I made the decision to stop hitting, just to solely focus on pitching. And I since then, I think I've seen just exponential growth um, in just having to focus just on pitching and not having something where half of my practice every day was devoted to hitting to fielding to base running um so just in focusing on being a pitcher only and being around the great group of pitchers we had here this year um i think i, I mean i learned so much from all of them um and i think i've carried the same mentality from the moment i stepped on campus to now um we're just on the mound I'm just an absolute bulldog but think everything else has come along significantly more um, From where I started. So I have much better secondary stuff. And I mean, I'm just less of a hothead. I used to be really mad when I pitched. Um, And now I'm a lot more in control of my anger when I'm out there.
1: Yeah. Let me tell you, it was a treat to get to watch you because we kind of watched the evolution of you on the mound. And, you know, you're doing a little bit of talking to yourself and just learning about where that comes from. And I'm, I'm sure you appreciate what Shohei Otani does a lot more now doing that at the pro level. What kind of impact you mentioned the other, the guys on the staff, how has Will Kempner helped you succeed on the mound?
3: Yeah, so Will has been my roommate for the last three years. We're freshman roommates, we're a roommate, and then we moved in the same house together last year and we've continued to live here this year. So I've been around him a lot on and off the field. And I think the biggest um, help to me is that on the field especially, he and the rest of the pitchers here, Ray, Jesse, like all these guys push me to be better every day because everything's a competition so in the fall when we're lifting it was always a competition on who could lift the most in everything it wasn't just like one or two lifts it was every single lift we do it'd be like oh how much you lifted how much you lifted okay I'll beat that um when we're throwing bullpens it's like okay who had the best command like it was little competitions in everything and having to compete really brought out the best in me every single day And so I think that's the biggest credit that I can give to those other guys that have been around me is, and that's what I'm so thankful for is that having guys like that around me forced me to be better every single day. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm really grateful that I had a great group of pitchers around me to push me to be better.
0: It's interesting. You went to uh, back in 2018, the 17 new world series in that awful heat in Arizona, but that's a great event. The perfect game puts on you. You're the Gatorade player of the year, right? The following year. So you were a dude, and as you said, you know, I realized my Idaho game. I had to grow my Idaho game for it to play elsewhere. But when did you see yourself as a pro? I mean, when did you when did you actually think? And I ask about that seventy, or I bring that up because a lot of a lot of future pros play in that event in Arizona. But but when did you actually see yourself as a pro? When did you realize I, I think I might be able to earn a living for some time pitching?
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, this moment came very recently um, when last summer I played for the collegiate national team. So I'm playing for team USA. And that was a really great experience. Loved the entire, loved the entirety of that. Um, but the moment came for me when first round of the draft, we're sitting in our hotel in the, like, there's a convention center in the hotel. So this big uh, projector and we're watching the first round of the draft. And there's probably 20, 25 guys in there watching the first round. Um, Robert Moore is telling us like all the behind the scenes info from his dad. And, I saw this moment where I look around and I see all these guys that are projected to be first couple rounds in the 2022 draft. And I'm looking around and I'm like, wow, I mean, if I'm in this room now, why not be in this room next year? Um, And that was kind of the moment that it hit for me where I was like, wow, maybe I can,
0: maybe I will be able to continue this after college and make a living out of it. Is there a response to that feeling? Does that, you know, like, You know that that first cup of coffee in the morning when you get old like me like jolts you like it's nobody's business. I mean, was there if you look back? I mean, you already had worked hard. You were on the collegiate national team, so it's not as if oh I started working. Sod I figured out I needed to work. But was there a response to that aha moment going forward? I think for me it was
3: just a level of raise, kind of taking a step back and getting some perspective, Um, because at the end of the day. Um, playing the WCC, um, playing on the West Coast, all the guys I played with. I, th- I was the only guy from the Pacific Northwest. Everyone else was from uh, the SEC, ACC, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, like everyone's from over there. Um, and so for me, it's just kind of, I'm on my own out here. If these are the guys that I want to be with next year, that's where I have to raise my game too. And so it kind of Allowed, from there, it was kind of like, a. I need to take a step back, gain a little bit of perspective, um, and realize who I'm competing against every single day um, when I'm pitching in the middle of March in snowy Spokane. Um, and that was kind of a, for me, it was kind of like a kick in the, kick in the butt where I was like, okay, I need, to, I need to work harder. Like, I've been working hard, but these guys here, they've also been working hard. And so if I want to beat them, I need to work that much harder
1: you were named All-American First Team. Uh, there hasn't been one for Gonzaga in 20 years. And I, I know that the Zags and I'm sure the the guys, the alum who've played there have been impactful. Marco Gonzalez in particular, what's that guy taught you? What What's he done or, or what kind of insight has he given you that you haven't gotten anywhere else?
3: Um, yeah, so I think one of the really cool things about this program is how involved the alumni are. and It was fall of 20, or winter of 2021, our pitching coach, Brandon Harmon, asked, he was like, hey, uh, I want to set up a meeting between you and Marco, just to talk about it two weeks. It seems like you're going to be a guy for us on the mound, and it seems like you're going to be an impact bat in the lineup. So I want to set up a meeting with you so you can kind of pick his brain and figure out um, maybe some tips or tricks, like, to help you succeed. So I met with him that winter, and, like, we talked for, like, an hour and a half. The first 10, 15 minutes of our conversation was about being a two-way, like managing our schedule, like managing my schedule, managing my time. But then the next hour was spent on kind of the mentality and the psychology, what it takes to be a professional baseball player um, and kind of the mindset you have to carry every single day. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, was the best piece of advice that I've ever gotten, really, is um, kind of what the mindset what kind of mindset it takes to be a professional baseball player um, and how much you have to love the competition, how much you have to love the grind. And since then, like at the beginning of this year, I texted him. Um, and I was just like, look, you know, you've been in a similar situation to me. You played for team USA going into your draft year, um, all these preseason awards. Like, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with all the pressure, all the expectations? Like, how do you, how do you deal with it? Cause this is a lot and I'm very unfamiliar to this. And I think just being able to reach out to him, as someone who's been in my situation before, um, has been immensely helpful to where I'm at today.
1: Yeah. And today you're, you're talking to us while you're packing up and saying goodbye and, and heading off to some exciting things. So how do you feel? W- what are the emotions going on and how do you feel like you've tempered all the pressure?
3: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a lot. Um, this was the last three years of my life. So obviously I'm, I'm sad to be saying goodbye to Spokane and. Um, Oh, but, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for the next step. You know, this is every kid dreams about being a professional baseball player. Every every little kid that plays T-ball, like, dreams of being a professional baseball player. Um, and I'm finally at a point where I think, wow, maybe it could finally be happening. And, I mean, it's exciting. I'm excited for whatever this ne- next step looks like. Um, because, you know, for a lot of these guys, it feels like our entire careers have led up to this moment and then this is when it really starts so i'm just really excited for whatever these next steps look like for me
0: you talk about the improvement of of your command and of your secondary stuff and you said you kind of focused on that and i i can't now find an article without them mentioning that you've done that as well but how did you do that you know it's one thing you know as someone who pitched in the minor leagues myself it's one thing to try to improve upon an area but a lot of us never get there. You know, I never was gifted with your stuff, and certainly never, you know, the command. How did you do that? How did you work on your command? How did you improve your secondary stuff specifically?
3: Yeah. So for the command, this is something I picked up last summer. Is one of the coaches was Jerry Weinstein, great guy in the Rockies organization, and he was talking to the pitchers, and he was talking about this thing he called the Rule of Sixty Eight, um, and he was saying great hitters might hit three twenty at your level. Which means 68% of the time you put the ball in the zone, they're getting out. And so I think when I was when I you shift it from, oh, like I don't want to throw it, like I need to nibble at the corners, like I need to paint so that they don't get a hit. When you shift it from that mindset to, well, if I throw it in the zone, 68% of the time they're gonna get out. It's just a numbers game at that point. And I like those numbers. Those are overwhelmingly in my favor. So I like, think that was the biggest thing that I that helped me with my command was just Letting go of the mentality that oh I need to be perfect I need to paint I need to nibble at the corners like I can't let them get anything close to the zone, um, otherwise I'm going to give up a hit. So just sh- shifting my mindset my mentality to that um, I think helped me eliminate walks more this year um, and just get more outs. And then as far as the secondary stuff goes, just throwing it a lot. Um, when I when I fractured my hand I had to. Buddy tape my two fingers together to play catch, and when I did that, I had to throw in a changeup grip because that was the only way it was comfortable for me to hold a baseball. So for like a month straight, the only thing I threw was changeups. And then after that, it was like, oh, actually, I kind of have a decent changeup now. When I'd never had a changeup before that, so it was it was kind of funny how that worked out. But no, I just just threw it a lot, um, and that was it, it, going into fall ball. That was something I wanted to work on, so I told harm I was like hey like I need to work on a changeup. I need to get comfortable with it and so just threw it a lot in inner squads um and just got comfortable throwing that over and over and over again um and I think that showed up this year when I got a lot more comfortable throwing my change up and it was really the same for my slider you know just throwing it over and over and over again tweaking with different grips and finding what felt comfortable
0: Without, without diving too deep into your family life, I'm sure you, through your parents or through family members, have experienced some tough times. But this is uh, the, the, more of what you experienced as a baseball player and as a member of a program, a different kind of growing up. Um, when you lost your coach on April 24th, Coach Evans, um, I, I can't imagine it, You know, especially somebody who I would consider a mentor at your age. Um, seeing them, you lose that battle and it's such an awful thing to see to cancer. So as you sit here today, certainly with the microphone, honor him if, if you don't mind, and please share what it was like to go through that.
3: Yeah. Um, that was a very difficult part of our season. And first of all, I want to say how grateful I am to really the the athletics department, um, the Spokane community, it was incredible to see the outpouring of love and support that came from everyone that surrounded us. And I think that's a credit to how great of a man Coach Evans was. Um, He was, I mean, he was the hardest working coach that I've ever known. He and the, the passion he carried for the game was immense. Even when I was on the wrong side of that passion, getting talking to or getting my, getting my butt chewed for something. I was, I mean, the passion he carried was unmatched and unparalleled. And I mean, I'm thankful that I got a year my freshman year um, when he was still able to coach um, before he had to kind of take a step back from his coaching duties because of um, his treatments for cancer. And I mean, in that year, I just remember the level of, attention to detail he brought every day and the level of excellence he expected from us and there was it was nothing less than excellence that he expected every single day and anything less was unacceptable to him and that i mean that that's an incredible attitude to have especially on a baseball field and i'm so grateful i had someone in my life who was who expected that from me and who always saw the best and who wanted me to get there as much as he did. Um, So yeah, I mean, it was was a really tough time, but I'm so thankful that I was able to be around my team, around my coaches um, during that time because I think everyone really just came together um, and supported one another um, through that experience.
1: Man. Gabe, we are so grateful for you sharing that and and celebrating his life. Uh, we didn't we didn't get to really do that properly uh, during Blacksburg, so I'm really glad that Darren asked that and that we got to to make sure that we loved on, on coach Evans, because just learning about the impact that he had on your program and, and Gonzaga just he's Gonzaga through and through. So thank you for sharing and, and being with us today. I know that Darren and I just learned a ton and, and I'm just really grateful and want to wish you the best of luck for the rest of whatever's coming your way.
3: Well, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate you guys having me.
0: I made a request to the Ole Miss athletic department for an athlete. And I sent that request down the way. They do a great job, by the way, their their entire communications department. And they said, athlete A or B is not available for a variety of reasons. But you want athlete C. You want him. We promise. You do on your show. And I thought, I don't like to let the SIDs decide who I want. But I'm kind of in a bind. And so, okay, thank you very much, Ole Miss, for sending us Peyton Chatagnier. He played Hunter Pence baseball. And uh, that means Hunter Pence's Baseball Academy. Hunter Pence is my co-host. Here's the two of them talking. It's Perfect Game College Baseball, a brand new streaming show that airs each week on Perfect Game TV
5: we are about the deep dive (laughs) this is what we love to study you got you got to give us a little bit more than that uh what are some things that because because a lot of the people listening to this you know are are young hitters or you know parents trying to teach kids and and you could help someone by taking us through your adjustment because baseball is adjustments and it's what have you done for me lately so please dive a little deeper um
6: my biggest thing and one of the things that i have uh i think i do pretty well with is being able to attack the fastball. And and, um, if you look back, whenever I was struggling, I've always had a problem with with hitting the off-speed pitches, um, but I was getting beat by fastballs, which isn't really my game. Um, So if I could correct that the best I could, I think that would help out with everything. If you're on time for the fastball, you're able to hit the off-speed pitch and everything like that. Um, So what had happened was we were hitting one day um, on an off day or something like that. I can't remember. But Coach Clem, our our hitting coach, pulled up a, a, a picture of me when he paused it, where basically I was at my my furthest point back in my load, so right before I'm actually about to attack the ball, right? He froze it, and then he put it side-by-side, side. another <clears throat> great hitter in the SEC, um, in the same point of where he was the furthest you know, back in his load. And we looked at it side-by-side, side, and for my picture, the ball is basically where, already where I should be swinging. It's like almost to the plate. And for the other kid um, – the ball was barely out of out of the pitcher's hand. So I was having a, a trouble with getting, I don't want to say loading necessarily, but just getting my hands back far enough to where I should be, should be attacking the ball um, to swing. And what that was kind of forcing me to do was kind of cut myself off and swing a different way than I normally would. So the main thing I'm focusing on right now is just getting into that load position a little bit earlier be able to see the ball so like everyone always talks about whenever you're struggling shorten up load slower do everything like that and that's basically what I'm trying to do because like I said earlier my swing is my swing and I don't necessarily like every bit of it but that's my swing and that's what feels comfortable with me so then we're not going to change you know the actual swing part but almost the pre-pitch stuff that you have to do.
5: Uh, Peyton I think that's absolutely amazing and something that you know I think needs to be harped on is like Uh, for me a lot of times it was like when I was late like that getting you feel like you're ready on time but then like feel versus real is so crazy so like it's almost like you have to be ready uncomfortably early and it takes a lot of practice to start getting comfortable with that but it will slow the game down and I'm sure you experienced that so beautiful stuff Peyton um I want to I also drive home a little bit of, you know, you're, you've you been hot and the team has been hot over these last seven games. You're on current six-game winning streak. What's kind of the vibe and the feel in the Ole Miss? Because I know that y'all's expectations is like World Series mentality. Uh, take us through uh, kind of the clubhouse vibe right now. To be right honest,
6: now. we really haven't had much of a change from, from how we felt um, a couple weeks ago versus now whenever we're on a hot streak. Um, we've always believed that we're a good team. We just weren't. We were a good team that wasn't playing well. It wasn't like we were a bad team that's just playing bad. I think we were a good team playing well. And so we just have to play like we're capable of playing and put all the pieces together. Because if you look at the last our last couple of losses, I mean, it is it is one pitch away from us winning the game or one hit away from us winning the game. It's not like we're looking absolutely terrible. We're just not putting it all together. And so recently, we've just been able to do it on both sides the whole time, which is awesome. Weeks away
0: the draft now, and you heard two athletes that uh, are gonna be picked very high. They're gonna have their lives changed forever. And you know that's mainly financial, but they're, they'll start to chase their dreams. It'll be a long journey. And Danny, I love them both. They both are humble yet confident. They both are mid-major guys. Um, and they picked where they wanted to go to school and then made the most of it.
1: I think they just go to show that you can develop anywhere. And if you find the right people around you to support you, that you're going to become the ball player or the person or both that you want to be. You don't have to go to the flashiest school or the sec school. You can go to a lot of different places. There are a lot of very good coaching staffs around this country who want to develop kids and develop them into people and ball players and citizens of, you know, the earth. So I think that that just shows you Gabe Hughes, Brooks Lee, like really good kids and they chose their own paths and look, it worked out. It was great for them. So, so it again, just emphasizes the point that that follow what you think is best for you. You don't have to look left or right. If you feel like that's, that's going to be and give you the best chance to succeed, go do it. and, And don't, and don't apologize for it.
0: Yeah. Incredible insight from both these athletes, a lot of confidence, both have failed, both either have failed or been injured. You know, Brooks Lee started with a major injury. That's where he learned I, too, want to coach because I helped my dad coach when I first came into college. And, uh, you know, both really, really inspirational. Same with Peyton Chatagnier, you know, the the smaller slice that we had of of that conversation. So we'll try to get you one more of these before the draft. Either way, we're we're just going to turn the page because there's a whole brand of athletes that are moving toward the, the 2023 will be embedded at Perfect Games National Showcase. Uh, at the TROP, we found a whole bunch of great stories to tell, even with younger athletes. You know, Danny and I are broadcasting youth championships on Perfect Game TV. So we're going to we're going to tell. This is kind of when we're in our sweet spots. We don't get to know our families and friends very well during this time. We get to know you and the athletes. We'll catch up later. Don't feel too bad for us. But hang with all our content. Hang with it on on you know perfectgame.org. Hang with it on Perfect Game TV find us after each sunday night game on sirius xm on mlb round trip with perfect game and thank you subscribe to this podcast like it make sure <laughs> you you download it share it with your friends then then unsubscribe then like it again then don't like it we don't care whichever you do just respond let us know you're out there like that you have a heartbeat that you care you know we want to know that you care i think it's time to wrap the podcast
4: it's
1: time to go it's time to say bye goodbye everybody